of Aragon, chapter 17. Cromwell took me to one side. I'd been staying at his house for a few weeks, making myself useful, helping with the constant washing, cooking and mending that such a household occasioned. He'd been amiable with me, but I had not spoken with him much. He was still grieving for the loss of his wife and two daughters. The sweating sickness was a terrible curse upon us all. It would take anyone, no matter how high or low. Mistress Cat, he said formally, I understand that you have applied to work for the Lady Anne. Yes, indeed, Master Cromwell, I replied. She is expecting me to start soon. Remember, you always have a home here, Cat, he smiled at me. I think ere long you may be living here in a different capacity. Will is a good lad, you know, and he will make a good living once he has his articles. I blushed and looked down at the floor. To many people, my desire not to marry seemed very strange. But anyway, now that the Queen no longer wanted me, my motivation to stay single wasn't quite as strong. So I said nothing. Be that as it may, Cat. I invite you to my house whenever you wish to come. Whenever you have a holiday... Or Mistress Anne is away. Thank you, Master Cromwell, I said, smiling at him. He was a very kindly gentleman. But then he said something which surprised me. And you can tell me all about the court around Lady Anne. Who does she see? What books does she read? I know you're a clever woman, Cat. She will talk to you. All at once, his eyes which had always been so warm and friendly, had become calculating. I stared at him. What did he want? Why did he want this information if he and Lady Anne were allies? Just the gossip, Cat, just the gossip, he said reassuringly. I like to hear from the women's point of view. I started working for Lady Anne just before Christmas of that year. She'd been glad to take me on, to entertain her ladies and do a few light chores. It was very different from being with Queen Catherine. I found myself on duty for much longer, always in demand to sing or play the lute. But I loved it. Who wouldn't enjoy singing in front of the grandest people in England? I was also allowed to be present when Lady Anne and her brother George composed songs together with my suggestions being taken seriously and sometimes even copied. I was there when they discussed the corruption of the church and how it would be better for England if we could break away from Rome. I said nothing but concentrated on the sewing in my lap. Lady Anne had started sewing the king's shirts for him but she was not as neat as Queen Catherine had been and I was often called upon to re-stitch a seam. 
Lady Anne's household stayed up late at night, and it was often gone midnight when I stretched out on my pallet in the antechamber. I slept in the next door chamber to Lady Anne with the other ladies. But at night, Anne most definitely slept alone. Christmas at Greenwich Palace was observed lavishly and the king and queen were on public display for every celebration. It was so strange for me to see her up there, blazing with jewels, smiling graciously at the king and acknowledging the cheers of the crowds. It's as if we were back ten years when they were happy together and he was still visiting her chamber for love rather than arguments. What was different for me was that I no longer had that intimate time with the Queen at the end of the evening when I would comb her hair, we would say our prayers and talk. Looking at her there, surrounded by ladies, with every courtier bowing as she passed, I realised that she must be very lonely. I felt a pang to my heart at the thought that she had no one she could really talk to. I knew she had Lady Maria Willoughby, who had been Salinas, but she had never slept in the Queen's chamber as I had. Queen Catherine had no one to warm her bed. Lady Anne did not attend these large events. She was not going to demean herself by having to curtsy to the Queen in front of hundreds of watching eyes. Instead, she ate in her chamber. After the official banquets, Many of the courtiers moved over to her apartment at the Tiltyard and there would be music and dancing past midnight. It was quite different from the official celebrations. It was louder and more vibrant and very glamorous, exciting, new and rather dangerous. The king rarely attended. When he wished to see the Lady Anne, he would send for her and she would leave the party going on in her absence. Henry was not really part of this new generation, the young people who wanted change. He had just fallen in love with someone who was. George Boleyn was now Lord Rochford, but he was still as familiar as he'd been before. Unhappily married, he would flirt with every woman present, even the servant maids like me. He and I got on well together, as he would often try out his latest musical composition on me, as Lady Anne was so often absent. Hey, cat, come with me, he ordered. I need some help on a chorus. I can't make it work. We were both standing at the edge of Anne's presence chamber, watching the dancing going on in front of us. They were dancing the Saltarello, a fast Italian dance which had recently arrived at the court. All the dancers stepped up to each other, then sprung into the air, with exhilarating hoops of joy. Catching each other as they landed, they linked hands and then spun each other round in a whirl of silk skirts and velvet robes. I want to watch the dancing, I protested. I don't know this dance. Don't be boring, cat. You can watch the dancing any time. But this is your only chance to make a song with me. His merry brown eyes smiled at me enticingly. He was a very handsome young man with a fine figure and well shown off by his close-fitting blue doublet and hose. He beckoned me persuasively. Come on, cat, 
I'll bring us some wine. We can go to Anne's chamber. We won't be disturbed there. I shrugged my shoulders. Oh, all right then, but I'm only staying a few minutes. Will is coming tonight and I want to see him. George laughed. <laughs> so he's your young man, this Will, he said, in a tone that suggested that this was a laughable idea. No, we're just friends. He works for Thomas Cromwell. He's training to be a lawyer. Men and women cannot be friends. He will want more, Cat. Do not worry. I will get you back within 20 minutes. Now come with me. He held out his hand and led me away from the presence chamber. Turning back as we left, I caught sight of Will entering by the main door. Hold on, there's Will, I cried out to George, but he was pulling me away. You'll be back in 20 minutes. Now be a good girl and come with me, he ordered. He was not above using his exalted status to get what he wanted. We walked through several chambers, each one richly furnished with tapestries and rich carpets, with bowls of fruit and silver goblets standing on side tables and oak settles placed besides blazing fires. The air smelt of pine and spices and all the scents of Christmas. Beeswax candles burned in sconces, creating pools of glowing, honey-scented light. Here, cat, come into Anne's chamber, said George. Come and sit with me beside the fire. It was hot beside the fire, and he was so close to me that I could have reached out and touched his face without moving. I could smell the scent of his fresh linen and the sandalwood oil that was on his hair. I felt uncomfortable. So, where's this song then? Have you written it down? I asked, inching away from him. He sprang up. Have some wine first, cat. Let me fetch you a goblet. Anne keeps good wines here, much better than in the presence chamber. He went over to the table and poured wine for us both. Here, cat, he said, offering me a goblet. Let us drink to my sister, who will be Queen of England within the year. If you play your cards right, cat, you will benefit, as we all will do. I drank some of the wine. It tasted of raisins and honey. I will serve Lady Anne as well as I can, I said. I'm a hard worker. She knows that. Ah, but will you serve me, cat? George asked silkily. You are a fine-looking woman, but you're causing me trouble. You're far too distracting for me. I am an important man. That cannot happen. He took my face in his hand and bent his lips to mine. I felt the wariness of his beard against me. He started to push inside my mouth with his tongue. His lips felt very wet and his tongue was intrusive. I pulled back, disgusted. He restrained me with his arms. No, my lord, get off me. I tried to push him off, but he was very strong and pinned me down. I twisted my face away from him and cried out, I do not want this. I thought we were going to talk about a composition. You're very naive, cat, he panted. Why would a woman go off with a man to a bedchamber 
if she didn't want something from him. Come on now, you want me. It would be nice, wouldn't it, to have a lord as your lover? I managed to wriggle out of his grasp and stood up, but he grabbed me again and tried to drag me to the bed. I twisted out of his grip and ran to the door. He followed me, but stopped as I reached the outer chamber where a couple of gentlemen were sitting at a table playing cards. I strode through the chamber, bobbing to the gentlemen and making for the outer door. Chamber after chamber I went through, retracing the steps George and I had taken just a few minutes earlier. As I neared the presence chamber, I realised that I was safe and I started to tremble. Tears came into my eyes as I realised what might have happened. George Boleyn, Lord Rochford, had just tried to rape me. He had tried to take me for sex against my will. This was in spite of the fact that he knew me. He knew I was close to the Lady Anne. That didn't matter to him. I was just a musician, a servant maid, to be taken whenever he wanted. I wondered if that was what had happened to my mother. Had she been raped by the king when she was going about her duties, maybe cleaning and tidying or bringing wine and sweet biscuits? Had she been unable to stop him because, as a serving maid, her job was to obey. I felt the hate mount inside me. These men, these noble men, who used women as easily as they used a handkerchief, I despised them. I wondered what would happen with Lord George. Would he complain about me to Lady Anne? He could not tell her what had happened, but he might make up some story about me being rude or unwilling. I don't know. I hadn't realised it until then, but for working for Queen Catherine, I was so protected. No man would dare to trouble one of Queen Catherine's maids, for she would have gone straight to the king. It was a bitter irony that this majestic king would have agreed with the queen on this and punished the man responsible. He was proud that his court was one where decency and morality were observed. And yet... He had mistresses. He had illegitimate children. He had taken advantage of a servant girl. I was sure of that. I was glad that he didn't come often to Lady Anne's chambers, as I hated the very sight of him. When I got back into the presence chamber, the dancing was in full swing. I looked for Will, but couldn't see him. He wasn't in the group of men that stood by the fire drinking and watching the dancers. I hoped desperately that he hadn't left already. I so much wanted to talk to him, to get his reassurance after George Boleyn's assault on me. I strained my eyes, trying to find his familiar figure amongst the crowds. Then I saw him, deep in the middle of the dance. He was smiling and laughing, talking loudly to his partner, who was flushed and rosy with the exercise. Lady Madge Shelton one of Lady Anne's ladies, one of the most beautiful women at court, who was always with a crowd of admirers around her. And now she was dancing with Will, and he looked like he was enjoying himself. I told myself that I was just friends with Will. I had told him many times I would not marry, so I should be pleased that he was enjoying the company of a pretty woman. 
but I wasn't pleased at all. I wanted desperately for the dance to stop and to be able to go over and talk with him, take him far away from her arms. You're not being fair, I told myself, but I couldn't help it. I was jealous. The dancing went on and on with one dance blending into another and throughout it all, Will and Lady Madge danced on with their eyes trained on each other. At last they stopped. He bowed to her and went on his way. I pushed my way through the crowds to his side, my breathing short with anxiety. Will, I was looking for you, I panted. Did you not see me on the side? He looked at me coolly and responded. I saw you, Cat, but you were with the Lord Rochford. I would not wish to interrupt your private conversation together. He said the word conversation as if it was something dirty on the bottom of his shoe. I cringed bright red with embarrassment. But no matter, Cat, I found a good companion in Lady Shelton. I did not know how much pleasure I would find in Lady's company. You are right, marriage is not for you. I did not miss you. He bowed and walked away. I tried to go after him, but he was walking too quickly and it was difficult to push my way through the crowd. Will! I called out, causing some courtiers to turn round and stare at me. He did not answer, but left the chamber and walked into the darkness. I stood there thinking that these glamorous, stylish people who were all around me were looking at me and laughing inside. A mere musician, a servant, and I had got above myself and my station. They were all talking about me. Behind their hands, I could tell. Lady Anne slept late the next morning. Mad Shelton told me that she had been up until after midnight, composing sonnets with the king. They sit and talk for hours, she said. Sometimes it is religion, sometimes music, sometimes even architecture. She gets him to think about new ideas that he hadn't considered before. I tell you, Cat, she will bring much good to England. Lady Anne had me playing the lute while her ladies dressed her. Today she was wearing a deep green silk gown with long sleeves that draped over her white hands. The gown was shot through with tiny sapphires, giving the impression of the sea as she moved. She wore, as she usually did, a sleek French hood edged with pearls that showed off a part of her shining dark hair. I wanted desperately to speak to her, but there were people all around. At last, though, she was ready, and she dismissed everyone except for me. So you enjoyed the dancing last night, Cat? she asked. I noticed that her manner was now more imperious than it had ever been before. Uh, yes, my lady, I answered, but there was one thing... George, I wondered if you would say something. You know, madam? I was amazed. I knew the court was full of spies, but how had she found out so quickly? He visited me last night after the king had left. He told me he had tried to bed you, but that you had pushed him away. Her voice was cold, as if she disliked me. I braced myself for bad news. 
I'm sorry, madam. I didn't know what to do. I excused myself. But inside, I was thinking that it was George who needed to apologise, not me. Lady Anne waved away my apology. You did the right thing, Cat, but you should not have gone off with him without a chaperone. As a woman, you must guard your honour. Look at my sister Mary, the laughing stock of the court. You cannot afford for that to happen to you. Yes, my lady, I thought he just wanted to discuss music with me. I wouldn't have gone if I'd known what was in his mind. Lady Anne frowned and then admitted. I was very angry with George last night. He is like a little boy. He cannot get enough sweetmeats. Cat, if you wish to progress in court, you will avoid any compromising situations. You have no family behind you, no royal connections. If only she knew, I thought, but she would never know. It would be a secret forever. Lady Anne was continuing to talk. You have a real talent, Cat, the ability to become a great musician and singer. I order you to concentrate on that and speak with my brother only in company. Yes, my lady, I will, I agreed and bobbed a curtsy. He will have a sore head this morning, she observed dryly. Too much wine and then a stern rebuke. Not what he was looking for. Lady Anne was in good spirits this spring. There was a new cleric in town, a Thomas Cramner, whose opinion was that the king should retain control over the church within his kingdom. King Henry, having read William Tyndale's book, The Obedience of a Christian Man, took to the idea enthusiastically. At last they could see a way out. Rather than wait for years for the Pope's ruling, if Henry was in fact the head of the English church, then he could enable that church to give him the annulment he desired. There was a sense that things at last were moving. I saw Will often in passing, but never had time to stop. He was always busy on Thomas Cromwell's business, and when I went to the Cromwell house, he was never there. I yearned to explain what had happened that night with George to him, but I could never catch him alone. Lady Anne caught me looking sad one afternoon and demanded to know what was the matter. Tears filled my eyes and I broke down. She wasn't the kind to be motherly and sympathetic, but she did reach out a hand to me. Don't cry, cat. Surely it is not too bad, she said, with the optimism of one who was about to have her own dreams come true. It is, it is. I sobbed, Will Cook will no longer speak to me. He saw me going off with your brother that night and thinks I allowed him to bed me. You know I didn't. I keep trying to explain it to him, but he never has time to listen. I mopped at my face with a handkerchief. So, you are interested in Will Cook? Anne asked. I thought you had said you would never marry I miss him so much, my lady. I don't want to marry him. Well, not yet. But I cannot bear to be enemies with him. Lady Anne pursed her lips. Leave him to me, she said. I will speak with him. We will sort him out, don't worry. I cannot have 
my lutonist crying while she plays. And yes, you can marry if you wish, but don't go and do it until I allow you. Now go and fetch my mirror. I have an unfortunate spot that I need to cover. It took a few weeks, but Lady Anne was as good as her word. It was late afternoon and a small group of courtiers were playing cards with her. There was her brother George, Henry Norris and William Burriton, among others. I was singing, something I would do for hours on end to entertain her. The door opened and a footman came in, followed by Will. He looked severe and businesslike in his black doublet and hose. I thought he'd never look more handsome. He glanced at me sourly before bowing to the company. You sent for me, my lady? He said questioningly. Yes, indeed, Will. Now I have heard that you are a clever young man and I know you work for Master Cromwell. So you are on our side. But what are you doing making my musician cat so miserable? She is like a silly girl who hasn't been given the sweetmeats she wants. I cannot bear it. She is so depressing. You must help me here, Master Cook. Will glanced at me and then at George. I did not think that Mistress Cat was interested in me, my lady. She showed interest in other gentlemen far beyond my station. George, snapped Lady Anne, this is your fault. Now, will you explain to Master Cook what you were doing with his sweetheart last Christmas? Lord George Boleyn looked bored and threw his cards down on the table. He drawled out his reply. It is quite simple, sister, and you know it. I wanted Mistress Cat's assistance with a composition I was writing. She has quite an unusual talent, particularly for one with no noble background. And that's it. We were sitting maybe too close and she misunderstood me. But my sister has told me that I should not have compromised her in the way I did. Master Cook, do not be anxious. Nothing occurred, nor would it. Will looked quite shocked by this, his face working to control his emotions. After a moment, he bowed and said, Thank you, my lord, for explaining the situation. That eases my mind. He turned and bowed to Lady Anne and then looked at me. Our eyes met. I must go. Master Cromwell has many communications with the European universities that I must read and reply to. I bid you good afternoon. He bowed again and turned and left. Lord George Boleyn laughed and then picked up his cards. He turned to his sister and said, And now, sister, may we get on with our game? We have sorted out the servants' romance, so let us continue with the more important things in life. The company laughed, and I flushed with embarrassment. Lady Anne raised her eyebrows and then remarked, Well, I did my best. Now, Cat, give us some more music. Something cheerful, please. I cleared my throat and started to play the lute. I don't know how I managed to hit the notes. Lady Anne had done what she promised, 
but it hadn't had the effect I'd hoped for. Obviously, Will was not interested in me anymore, and I felt like weeping. Come on, cat, you sound like a wet Wednesday, said George. Be merry, girl, your reputation is cleared, and for your mistress's sake, give us a smile.